This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Prospect Podcast here at the Hockey News, brought to you by BetMGM. I am Ryan Kennedy. I got Stephen Ellis on the boards back there. We're going to talk a whole bunch of draft stuff and prospect stuff in this episode, but as we always do per request, a little music talk to kick things off. What have I been listening to lately? I've been digging in the crates for some old Sonic Youth because I just finished reading Kim Gordon's book, Girl in a Band. It's a really good book. I highly recommend it. And because of that, I was in the mood uh, for some classic Sonic Youth. Very noisy, awesome stuff, iconic band. I'm talking Death Valley 69, Brother James, uh, Schizophrenia, and even, you know, I'm also a big fan of Daydream Nation and Goo. Those albums, I think, are classics. Mildred Pierce, I feel, is maybe the, the song that really explains Sonic Youth the best. So... That's what's been on my playlist lately, and now we'll go to the top three players for the 2022 draft that have caught my eye recently. A lot of playoffs and championships have wrapped up lately. Obviously, with the CHL, they're still going, but we have a new USHL champion, the Sioux City Musketeers, and one of their best players all season long, but particularly in the playoffs, was Dylan James, who was playing left wing on a line with Owen McLaughlin, the Philadelphia Flyers prospect. Dylan James, thinking he's probably a pretty solid second rounder at this point, committed to the University of North Dakota. Uh, scouts sort of see him as more of a complimentary player at the NHL level. I'm kind of wondering if he'll maybe be like a Zach Hyman where, you know, he can win battles, go to the dirty areas, but he also has some offensive punch to his game. And he certainly displayed that this year in Sioux City, probably more so than you would expect when he gets to the NHL level. But it's always a great sign when kids are producing early. So Dylan James, definitely a name to keep in mind. And congratulations to the Musketeers. Uh, keeping with the championship theme in the NHL, the Robertson Cup just concluded and the New Jersey Titans took the title and one of the key players particularly in the final game against Anchorage was Nick Ring he's a University of New Hampshire commit very creative player very talented doesn't have a ton of size not small kind of medium Uh, but he really came through for the Titans and scouts are very interested to see what he does at at the next level this is the sort of player that obviously you're thinking about kind of four or five years down the road see what he can do at college with the Wildcats but I always like when players really bring it at the end of the season and Nick Ring Regular season, his stats were okay, but in the playoffs, they were very good. He was one of New Jersey's top scorers, so great to see him end with a bang. And as I mentioned, major junior playoffs still going on. Um, So I'm going to turn my attention to the dub. Kevin Korchinski, defenseman with the Seattle Thunderbirds. He has been excellent for them. Basically a point per game or from the blue line during the postseason. And this is a kid that moves well, has some pretty decent size, makes crisp passes, makes uh, a lot of plays in all three zones. So scouts are very interested in him. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see how many blue liners go early in the sort of, I would say, first half of the first round. I think Korchinski is certainly in the mix there. 
Maybe he's kind of a 10 to 15 guy at this point, 10 to 20, depending on how things shake out, depending on how teams feel about, you know, a guy like Denton Matejchuk or even Owen Pickering, uh, who also played in the dub. But Kevin Korczynski, uh, he had a monster season for the Thunderbirds, and he's kept going in the playoffs. So definitely one to continue watching uh, as that postseason keeps going. So now going to get to your questions, which are always solid, and I really appreciate that. So, Steven, tee me up. Have you ever heard of the uh, the band Infant Annihilator? Mm, if I had, it would have been through you. So they're a band that were a very big uh, uh, deathcore band a few years ago. Mm. And when they're, uh, I was talking to some guy on Twitter. Somebody, someone, the guy in the Prospect podcast asked for my music prediction. Uh-huh. And this one I said, uh, there's a band called Enterprise Earth, which had the original singer from uh, Infant Annihilator, which started out as like a meme deathcore band, but then they were like actually like super insane. The, right. I don't think they had a drummer, like the, every song was like 300 beats per minute. So nice. it was like... Like uh, a gorephobic nosebleed. But yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but basically the idea was to be like super, super stupid. But then the, this guy started a real band called Enterprise Earth, and he just recently left the band. But their uh, the song called I Have to Escape has one of the greatest breakdowns I've ever heard, and it starts the song. I have a list I keep on my phone all year long of the best songs of the year. I got Avril Lavigne, number one. Three Days Grace, number two. Enterprise Earth. Uh, Falling in Reverse with the song Zombified. I love that song. And then... A band I had never heard of before called World's First Cinema, and they made a song called Young Beast, and it's probably the catchiest song I've heard in so long. Wow. And I'm trying to figure out how to get it used in a hockey news video at some point, but I, other than like the you know the copyright side of things, but I don't know, it's cool. Why is Three Days Grace anywhere near any playlist? Well, see, I loved One X. That's one of my all-time favorite albums, the one that like their big breakout album. But their newest album is probably the best thing they've done in a long time. Yeah, I cannot abide. Why do you not like them? Uh, they're just. Terrible echoes of grunge. Okay. Anyways. Sure. On to the question. First question comes from Ronson Swanson the 14th. I actually believe we had another Ronson Swanson, so I don't know if this is just a trend or if you have a different name on multiple platforms. Mm -hmm. Who is your biggest draft riser from the start of the year to now? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, it's it's interesting because you do have those sort of blue chip guys that you know about a year or two in advance. Um, But... You know, my answer, you know, we've talked about Yuri Kulich before on the podcast, so I'll put him aside, although he has been a, a huge riser. I'm going to go with Sam Rinzel, who uh, played most of the season uh, with his Minnesota high school team, Chaska, the Chaska Hawks. Um, and then, of course, when their season ended, he went to the USHL, played for the Waterloo Blackhawks. And that's where he really impressed scouts, because when you're playing Minnesota high school, you know, there's not a lot of depth, so you can kind of do whatever you want if you're an elite talent, and we've seen a lot of great players come out of there. But once Rinzel got to the Blackhawks in the spring, he proved that he was ready for that level of competition. He's got great size. Uh, I think he's like six foot four and an amazing skater. So very impressive kid. And, you know, coming into the season, he was definitely on my radar as kind of a top 100 guy. In draft preview, which we just finished up and we are promoting right now. So it'll be coming to your neighborhood very soon, kids. Uh, I have him, I think, 41st overall. And as time goes on, you know, depending on, you know, what he does say at the draft combine, I'm I'm thinking it's very possible he sneaks into the first round just because he has such impressive tools and he has shown so much poise at the end of the season in the USHL. So Sam Rinzel, definitely a high riser. Um, the sort of player that, you know, had potential but really showed that he has a high ceiling as the year went on. 
Casey Dalton asks, what are your thoughts on the Sea Dogs making a coaching change before the Memorial Cup? Okay, yeah, so big controversy in the queue, as Sanaya Sapergi always says, because it's the queue. Uh, yeah, so context, if you don't have it, St. John's Sea Dogs are hosting the Memorial Cup. They get iced out in the first round by Ramuski. Obviously a huge upset. I think there's 23 points separating them in the standings, something big like that. Because uh, I, I read my Station Nation blog. Shout out to Jamie Tozer. I went and, to school with him. Hey, wow. Small world. Um, but yeah, so they lose in the first round. And then just, I think, in the past few days or so, head coach Gordy Dwyer fired. Uh, Gardner McDougall, who's the longtime coach of the University of New Brunswick, is coming in. He'll return to the Reds after the Memorial Cup. You know what? I, I don't like the decision. Uh, and here's the thing. You know, we've seen this happen before. Happened to the Windsor Spitfires. Um, I think they were probably the most recent team to lose in the first round. They had a tough London Knights draw in the first round of the OHL playoffs. Then they ended up winning the Memorial Cup on home ice. So it all worked out in the end. But I use the Tampa Bay-Columbus analogy here. Tampa Bay got swept by the Blue Jackets. And then what'd they do? Did they fire John Cooper? No. Did they blow things up? No. They kept on course. Very soon after, back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. They might even win a third one this year. For the St. John Sea Dogs, okay, you had one bad series. Who's to say you don't use that time? You've got tons of talent. I mean, this is a loaded roster. Use that time, heal up, practice hard, scout as much as you can, figuring out who your opponents are going to be, and then hit them hard on home ice when the Memorial Cup turns, turns around. I know Gardner McDougall is a very well-respected coach. You know, I, I've seen him at coaching conferences before, uh, so well-regarded by his peers, but he's coming into a league he does not know. I mean, he has been doing Canadian University hockey for a long time. He's got to come in, kids younger than he's uh, you know, used to coaching, and learn a league where he's not going to get to see his team against real competition until that first game of the Memorial Cup. So I think it's a huge dice roll by the Sea Dogs, and I would have preferred for them to just stick with what they had and say, okay, bad luck, we lost in the first round, let's turn it around. We still have you know, basically a 1-4 chance of winning the title. It's such a weird decision. Yeah, I didn't like the timing of it at all. That's very strange. So we'll see what happens there. Yep. Uh, Queechy, a longtime uh, listener, uh, which team will choose Marco Casper? Yeah, great question. Marco Casper playing for Austria at the World Championship this year and looking pretty good. Got eliminated, though. They did get eliminated. Uh, but he is a center, he's got great size. Uh, you know, playing in Sweden, he's been getting great competition over there this season. So I'm looking right now at a couple of teams. New York Islanders could be an option. I think they're picking like 12th or 13th. I think 13th. You know, the Winnipeg Jets after that, I think the Jets could probably grab a center, even though, you know, they, they did take Chaz Lucius last time. Uh, Vancouver, I think, could be an option now. It's not that they need a center right away, because obviously they have Elias Pettersson, they have Bo Horvat, you know, but you're looking at Marco Casper as a player that you probably want to see him play in Europe at least one more season, if not two, just get as many reps as possible, and you kind of have that luxury. 
But if you're the Canucks, you want to keep getting nice assets and being strong down the middle is very important. So I feel like that's kind of the range for me is like Islanders, Jets, Canucks. I think that to me is kind of the safest right now. Yeah, Casper had a pretty solid tournament for Austria where he was the youngest guy on the team. And they kind of were the underdogs all throughout the tournament. He played well against the Czech Republic when they beat them. He looked good against the Americans when they uh, took them to overtime. So uh, that's kind of the thing with how long the World Championship is. They had those highs of, like, the win in one game and the the overtime loss in the other game, and they nearly got relegated. And it was just kind of crazy. The goalie stood up. Bernard Stockbaum played great in the final. And uh, Ross, like, you know, Austria really relied on their their veterans. But Rossi, they gave him the opportunity. Not Rossi. uh, Casper, they gave him the good opportunities there. And I thought he looked really good. So, yeah. He's got a good good future ahead, and it's Definitely. it's always fun seeing a guy from Austria do well because That's it's just right. a smaller team. Mm-hmm. Next question comes from not Danny Phantom. Did you ever have you ever heard of the show Danny Phantom? I have not. So it's a show made by well, do you know um, um, Fairly Odd Parents? I'm aware of yes. it. Yes, it was after you. Okay. You know, that's, that's a show I grew up watching. Same creator, Danny Phantom, is a show about a kid who turned into a ghost type thing. It wasn't that popular. So this guy is not Danny Phantom. Fair. Just to be sure. Noted. Um, Slavkovsky versus Cooley. Who would you pick at number two if you had the choice and the team doesn't matter? All right. So if the team doesn't matter, I'm going with Logan Cooley because he's the center. Slavkovsky's the winner and the winger. And look, Slavkovsky, fantastic prospect, great size, plays with Snarl. Obviously, he can score. But for me, if you're picking that high and you have the chance to get a center, Logan Cooley is the guy because obviously Shane Wright's going to go number one in this scenario. Um, you know, Cooley still he's still got time to grow, and I think that's pretty important here. Is that you know we haven't even seen the best of Logan Cooley. He's already a great skater. He could get even better. And we know he makes his line mates better. He's going to the University of Minnesota now where he's going to have a great cast surrounding him for that first season. And, you know, he seems like the type of guy that's probably only going to play college for a year, maybe two years at the most, if, say, he's chasing a title. Um, There's a lot to like about this kid. And as much upside as Slavkovsky has, it's so hard to find elite centers. And Cooley, for me, could easily be, you know, a, a top two center on a team, you know, on an NHL team in kind of three, four years. So that would be my pick if the team doesn't matter. But of course, mock draft style with New Jersey picking second, it's more likely that they'll take a winger because they have Heischer and Jack Hughes and, you know, Dawson Mercer can play either center or wing, whatever you need him to. So that's the difference there. But I will say, you know, before the draft order came out, I had Cooley number two. I dropped him to three because it just, I don't picture a scenario where New Jersey takes him. So, Slavkowski had a very interesting situation because we always talk about like tournaments. Like he played really well in the Olympics, he's played yeah. well in the World Championships very well. Um, World Juniors obviously short, shortened. Um, when you look at that, it always said with the tournaments were short sample sizes. And while that's true, he's actually played more national team men's games this year than he's played uh, in. Like, like local pro- proper league hockey. That's wild. That's unusual. That certainly is. So that's interesting. Yeah. And then when you look at that body of work, it's pretty impressive. Mm. I will say, yeah, he, he uh, and Tony Ferrari kind of broke down his goal scoring at the Olympics. A lot of those goals were kind of just, I want to say in close, but a lot of them were not the hardest efforts I've ever had to see by a shooter to score a goal because the goal he misplayed it type thing. Yeah. But... I'll say Slavkovsky is a more fun player, but you're you're getting so much value in Cooley that yeah. if you like, it's 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 hard to get a guy a centerman like that who 
people point out he was probably not the best player in the U.S. World Champion or World uh, U18 team, but it's because he was making everybody else better. Every player he played with was playing awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like Shane Wright as well. You know, people sort of say like, "Oh, we expected more production." It's like, look at his teammates; they wouldn't have had that production if they weren't playing with Shane Wright. Like, Pasternak and, and Marshawn, are, Marshawn are great players, but would they be as good if Bergeron wasn't their center all the time? There you go. So. Sometimes you just gotta. You don't have to be this huge point producer, but you can still make plays and you, you know. Deeper. Even if you don't get assists, there's still value in being the guy who starts the play even before Certainly. the secondary assist. So very true. Uh, that's why I also do value secondary assists a lot more than a lot of people do because with context, there's gotta be context to it. Yeah. Um, Sends dad. What's the most interesting thing you've learned making draft preview? All right. So very fun question, and uh, I racked my brain on this because you know we do so many of the the blurbs, and there's so many uh, sort of fun connections. I would say uh, year to year. Um, I remember for just a, a sidebar. I remember one year, you know, Jackson Lacombe, who ended up going to the Anaheim Ducks and is at the University of Minnesota. He had an uncle who was like a bodyguard for like professional wrestlers and like movie stars. So that was kind of that was like a fun little tidbit. Uh, but the one I'll go with this year is, uh, you know, I did a big cover story on Shane Wright. Uh, spoke with his parents, and you know, they were talking about just how competitive. Shane Wright is. And I know all hockey players to one extent or another are competitive, but this is the anecdote that I really liked. His dad was telling me that, you know, they were, they've been playing golf and this would have been, I think he said like June of 2020. They were playing golf and uh, Simon Wright, Shane's dad, was beating Shane and it drove him nuts. So Shane Wright started practicing golf like no one has ever played golf outside of like the PGA. They set up like, you know, something in the garage so he could hit balls during the winter. And in the span of one calendar year, Shane Wright went from shooting like 100 to shooting in the low 80s. So to me, that's just kind of fascinating where, you know, a kid can be so focused on his goals, whether it's hockey or golf. And obviously he was done doing a ton of hockey practice as well at the time. But for him to be so focused on a goal and to be able to achieve that, uh, it's really interesting just to hear the mechanics of it and, and get sort of a fun anecdote like that. So there's my answer. I interviewed Wright and Ottman, Brett and Ottman, who's former Don Mills Flyers and Team Canada teammate, and they have like a huge golf rivalry. Oh uh, yeah, be from on the on, like for real life and in the game, uh, PGA. Oh. Uh, and uh, Wright's the better one in person, but he sucks at the game. Gotcha. So. Wright's not a. It's funny. I asked him about video games. He's not a big video game guy in general. Yes. Yeah. So he's again he's focused on his career. Yeah. He's more of a reader actually. He was telling me that the he just finished reading Mark Messier's book, and he says the best one he ever read. A so. lot of a lot of first overall picks. I like that. Like Jack uh, Jack uh, Hughes. Hughes. Same thing. This yeah. dude is like in his free time, like studying like stats on elite prospects. Yeah. Like, and actually, awesome. I remember talking to Jack Hughes at the All Star game a couple of years ago. Asking him about, you know, what athletes do you like to watch in other sports? And he said Kevin Durant, the basketball mm -hmm. player, because of the way Kevin Durant, uh, <clears throat> so the way he thinks the game and the way he actually explains the game when he's being interviewed. Jack Hughes thought that was pretty fascinating. The way, just how in tune Kevin Durant is to the game of basketball and how he can sort of dissect it. I think when, when Hughes was about 17, it became clear this guy's probably going to be on TV or a coach at some point in his career. When he's like he, the guy, he just he's a smart 
yeah. player. Smart player, smart kid, and yeah. he's going to have a very good career. Uh, next question comes from Miro Strostak. Should Seattle look to trade its, its first pick or multiple picks or hang on and build? I think you hang on and build. I'm, because you don't have much of a pipeline right now, because obviously you're a new franchise, you've only had one draft under your belt. You know, getting Maddie Beneers with that first pick, second overall, um, obviously huge building block there. Right now they're slated to pick fourth. And in this draft, you could get someone really good because, again, let's assume Shaden Wright goes number one. We think Slavkovsky is going to go number two, but he might not. You know, we think Cooley might go three. He might not. You could get Simone Nemich. You could get David Juracek. You might even be able to get Slavkovsky or Cooley. Those are some top-notch players. Joaquin Kamel, somebody we haven't mentioned yet, he would be a great piece as well. Very hardworking kid who can put up big numbers. Uh, had a fantastic season in Finland. So with that high pick, when you have those opportunities to get those blue chip prospects, you got to do it. And especially with Seattle at this point, like they're not going to be good again next year. That's fine. You're building up, you know, like you, they didn't go the Vegas route and they went more of a traditional expansion route where, you know, solid but underwhelming, you know, not a lot of scoring punch this year. I don't think they're going to have a ton of scoring punch next season either. That's fine. Build things up. You got Beniers, you're going to get another great pick this year. And who knows, if you get Connor Bedard in 2023, or even Adam Fantilli, uh, or even Dalbor Dvorsky, there's another young player that you can have in your lineup sooner than later. All of a sudden, that scoring punch that you're missing right now is front and center. And we talked about it on the previous uh, main podcast episode. It's like, Seattle just needs players in general. Like, they are a brand new team. They just, totally. like... Like yeah, they can go out some good guys, and it's they are it's in their best interest to go and maybe go get Bedard next year, go get Michkov, whatever happens. And but like they actually need to build up their prospect base. They have one draft to their credit, so yeah. And like look at Vegas, the team that didn't get to build up their draft. And not only that, you also have to consider at this point, you know, like Seattle shared an AHL affiliate this season. Next season, they get their own team, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. They got to stock that team. And, you know, you'll bring in some veteran AHLers uh, just to give the kids some some guidance. Um, and you're going to look at guys like Riker Evans will be there, I'm sure, in the AHL. Um, but you need some other kids to be on that team. And right now, you have a very small pool to draw from. So those are sort of the, the high-level uh thought exercises that Ron Francis and his team have to have is how are we going to build up this franchise? Because right now we have a very uh, small base. Predator Maniac asks, what do you see the Preds doing with Ascroft next season? Yeah, great question. Uh, the dream killer himself come to North America, one of our favorites here, obviously, over the years. Now, very interesting for Nashville because they got a lot of goalies right now. Um, you know, UC Saros is obviously the starter right now. We saw Connor Ingram uh, in the playoffs a bit. You know, I think David Riddich, uh, or Riddick, I should say, you know, probably gone uh, or probably at least expendable uh, because you also have to look at the prospects you already have in the system and the players you already have signed and do they have a crease? So Thomas Vermotska, for example, where does he play next year? Most likely Milwaukee, but if Riddick's not there, is Vermotska your backup at the NHL level or 
you know, and what do you do with Connor Ingram, who, if I'm not mistaken, is not waiver exempt. So you got to make sure that you put him where you want him. Is he, is he the starter in Milwaukee? And Askarov gets experience behind him. You also have Devin Cooley signed. So you're talking about finding slots for a number of goaltenders. And what's key right now is for Askarov to experience the North American game, get used to the rink, get used to the culture over here, get used to the organization, you know, what the, the needs are of the Preds and also the Milwaukee Admirals for that matter, learn the systems. So for me, he's got to get starts wherever he is. And, you know, because he's waiver exempt, you can pop him up to the NHL as, as you know, Saros' backup for small periods of time so he can just get a feel for things. Um, but on the other hand, he's a goalie. And as advanced as Askarov has been in his career, you know, we've been talking about him since he was 16. Um, he is still young and his game is still a work in progress. So if he's in Milwaukee, you want to make sure he's playing at least one game every weekend. Uh, obviously in the HL, they typically play two or three games, but you want to make sure that he's getting starts, getting reps. Um, it's hard to see him going down to the ECHL just because he is such a coveted prospect. And I'm sure in his mind, it's like, well, why wouldn't I just stay home in Russia and play in the KHL if you're going to send me to the ECHL? Um, but that's what Nashville has to figure out this summer, slotting all their goalies, several of whom are young and need starts, while still remembering that they're a pretty good NHL team and Saros is the guy right now. Something kind of almost tells me that they weren't intending to sign him this offseason, but then just kind of what's going on in Russia, and then they probably would have wanted him to sign a long-term deal to stay there. Yeah. Would have made signing him later. A That's challenge. a very good point. Yeah, so. and I think we you know, we saw a little bit of a uh, you know, a signing spree. Like uh, I know Carolina signed Passion mm. probably a month ago or yep. three weeks ago, and it was like, oh, okay, they want to make sure they get their guy. So it's a very good point. So it would be interesting to kind of see how that uh, kind of affects the rest of the summer. Yeah. Uh, MN Waltz 37, I guess a big Wes Waltz fan. Sure. And they're, they're the final question today. What are your expectations for Marco Rossi next season? Yeah, so Marco Rossi had a very good AHL campaign with the Iowa Wild. Um, my expectation would be that you see him in training camp with Minnesota, see if he earns his spot. And I, I think the expectation should be that that he can grab a spot. And he should be close to a regular player in your lineup, assuming he has a good summer and you know, he develops the way you want him to. The good thing about Marco Rossi is that he's very versatile. And you know, playing for that Ottawa 67's OHL team under Andre Turini, uh, who of course now the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, Rossi really fit into that 67 system, playing the right way, not cheating on plays, being on the right side of the puck. So Again, I've said this about a number of prospects over the years. If you're coming in and you have that versatility, maybe you're only on the third or fourth line to begin with, but it's okay because you're still bringing value to the team. It can be limiting if you're only a scorer. And you know, we know Marco Rossi can put up numbers. We know he's a great offensive player. He won the OHL scoring title after all. But for Minnesota, they got to bring him in. See where his level is at, where his comfort level is, because obviously he missed a lot of development time due to COVID because uh, he had a really bad case there. 
but he rebounded nicely with Iowa this season. So I want to see where he's at. I would like him to be a regular. If he needs a little more time, that's totally cool. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And again, Minnesota coming off a pretty decent season there. Um, obviously, Kirill Kaprizov is the franchise player. They need a bit more talent. Matt Boldy looked really good this year. Let's see if Rossi can sort of up his own standard, which has been pretty high in the past, and make a push where he can play a role right away and grow in that role. All right. That's it. All right. Well, thank you for all the questions. Much appreciated. This has been the Hockey News Prospect Podcast brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Ryan Kennedy. That's Stephen Ellis. See y'all later. I can feel-